Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to our returning listeners and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. My guest today is a consultant, podcast host, keynote speaker, and content creator who specializes in transformative mindsets and holistic development. She's also the founder of Help Me Help You, a Gen Z mentorship platform. And through her workshops, she creates a space for individuals to develop healthy mindsets and approach life with different perspectives. With her podcast, Turn Off the Ringer, being in the top 10% of globally shared podcasts, her goal is to empower individuals to live a foundationally strong life, create spaces for people of color, and make wisdom more accessible to Gen Z. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Isha Patuk to the show. Hey, Isha, thank you for joining me. Hey, Patrick, thank you for having me. How are you? I am doing well. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty excited for this interview and podcast conversation. I know that one of the first things that I noticed about your platform was that you always create space for communities that have been underrepresented to kind of have a voice and share. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I'm very excited to chat with you. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, For listeners out there, just to give you a little background, Isha reached out directly to me on the Conversation Piece Instagram and was immediately open to that collaboration, basically uh, saying all of those nice things that she just said. And um, after a couple weeks of kind of back and forth messages, we were able to hop on a call and we were able to set this up. So be on the lookout. Uh, make sure you're following Turn Off the Ringer. Um, got some great episodes coming out. I know that you do and excited to see where you go with that journey. Isha, I know I introduced you just a little bit just now, but for people who might be listening who don't know who you are, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. Well, I think, first of all, you did a great job with my little intro and I'm <laughs> sitting here humble. I was like, oh, this is Nice to hear. Um, But on a more (laughs) personal front, and I think this would be important to give the listeners context on who I am and maybe add to that piece of credibility a little bit, is all of the work I do, whether it's with a podcast or the mentorship platform, like Patrick mentioned, um, is really rooted in my belief of uplifting and um, bringing attention to the immigrant experience and also experience of communities of color. And I say immigrant experience because I myself moved to the States in 2018 um, after graduating high school. And that was the first time I was actually coming here for college. And now I've graduated and I'm navigating life in New York City as a corporate professional. So a lot of different um, phases in my life and experiences I've had being an immigrant. So I think that that's definitely something that's shaped a lot of my life so far. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know we're going to dive into that because everything that you filled out on the guest forum had me really intrigued. And for folks who have been following the podcast last month, we did the APAM conversations. And we had actually a lot of focus on some South Asian conversations, particularly with colorism was one of the things that we talked about. Data disaggregation was another thing. And I know that we're going to dive into some of these topics. And I'm really interested to get your take on specifically what you think is missing from that conversation, especially because, as you said, you just immigrated in 2018. Mm -hmm. Okay, so interested to hear your perspective from what you saw initially when you came in and then how your ideas and perspectives have changed over the last five years in terms of what you feel is missing. So let's get into that piece. I think the answer to that is two-pronged. One, in terms of what the South Asian community itself can add in terms of like how the conversation is missing. And then second, in terms of how our communities are viewed. And one thing from a perspective of being, I'll cover the being a person of color and being South Asian part of it first. I think from that perspective, um, a lot of times I've noticed my friends or 
people from the South Asian community. And when I say South Asian, I mean of Indian or brown descent. So like Pakistani, Indian, Sri Lankan, et cetera. Um, sometimes I find my peers almost shy to take up space in a room because they feel like there's this internalized compass that tells them, oh, there's another minority that's more important. Um, because we recognize that when we're in the States, um, there's a lot of communities that have faced historically a lot more trauma than we have in this country. And so that kind of respect and like um, awareness of that kind of sometimes shies people away from, yes, I face discrimination, but is my story just as valid? Um, so I think that's one part of it that's missing. And, and now I think we're obviously coming to it's coming up in a different light now. There's more media representation for people, of, for South Asian people. There's more like um, young teenage media, like TikTok or YouTube, where you have more South Asian creators coming to platforms, which is amazing. But I think from a more South Asian perspective, from a, from a person of color perspective, I think there definitely needs to be more of a space created and conversations had about how we can best represent ourselves without feeling that almost like cultural imposter syndrome, which would kind of feel like we're not important enough to share that space. And then the second perspective, I think, which is really missing from the receiver's point of view, um, and I say receivers in terms of how socially the Indian community is viewed, is that there's a lot of, um, there isn't a lot of acknowledgement of the fact that we have a lot of different cultural divisions within our country itself. So when I say I'm Indian, it, I promise you, it doesn't at all mean that I am the same Indian that my friend is because sure. I'm, I come from a culture that's Marathi and Gujarati. And then my friends are Punjabi or they're from South India. So they're Tamilian or Telugu. And I think Maitri Ramakrishnan does a really good job at explaining this in one of her interviews for Never Have I Ever. Great show, by the way. But she says she was like, specificity is respect in that the fact that that show focuses specifically on a Tamil girl's household and upbringing is special because a lot of times all Indians are just grouped in one culture and they're like, oh, right. the Indian diaspora. But that isn't true because what she sort of her Tamilian roots and cultural um, nuances that she follows in the in the show are so different from what I follow, whether it's the clothes, the language, the food, the conversations with our parents. So I think that that acknowledgement of the fact that you can't just be grouped as like one India, that there are so many different cultures within our diaspora itself is a conversation that's definitely um, missing in that regard. I really appreciate everything that you just named there. Um, I think, especially for people outside of Asian diaspora communities, like we, that's what happens. We get grouped together. Everybody's Asian or whatever it looks like. Everybody's Indian. And I think we, even within our own community, can internalize that mindset some where we then don't do the work of disaggregating and thinking about the cultural mm -hmm. nuances, how deep that goes and thinking that everybody just operates in the same way when that's clearly not the case. So I really appreciate you naming that, especially when you think about the immigrant experience coming here and feeling, like you said, one, afraid to take up space because of seeing that or, or thinking that other minorities hold a higher significance in mm -hmm. terms of this is this struggle is more important mm -hmm. and we can get into this like oppression olympics type of mindset of thinking yeah. oh well this person's trauma is worse so that therefore my trauma is now invalid exactly. which is not the case it's like we all suffer from traumas differently yes there are different levels of trauma and especially 
when thinking about operating in the systems of the United States and a white dominant culture, it is like we are placed in hierarchies and we can internalize that mindset. It can be very difficult for us to move through that. And I love what you shared about specificity is respect. I think that is an excellent, that's going to be a quote for the episode. I already can tell you because (laughs) that is, that's a conversation that I feel like I've been having more and talking about how powerful it is to just be able to name specifically what it is you do, where you come from and the things that you inhabit. I think that's really, really important. And I'm really glad that you named that. You've talked a little bit about it, which is again, taking up that space, feeling like Brown Asian Americans or people come from South Asian diaspora are allowed to do that. What advice or how do folks within that diaspora, those communities do that? What do they need to do to take up that space? How do they go about ensuring that we are telling, not only that they are telling their stories, but also that we know that it's important and valid for us to do so? Mm. Before I answer that question, I want to go back and respond to something that you mentioned in the last few words that you said that really stuck with me. And that is that the reason why when we come here, or even if we don't come here, if we're going through life as a person of color in the States, the problem with not being specific is that it takes away from your identity and chips away at it without you realizing it. Mm -hmm. And I say that because when I came to the States, um, my identity was suddenly in the hands of others and my identity wasn't mine. So that sense of autonomy, you have to recognize whether you realize it or not. When you're young in a culture where you are a minority, it's likely that the opinions of others about your culture and you is going to shape your identity and create certain boundaries and gaps within your own personality and how you view yourself. And so when I realize, oh, I I view myself, I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm Indian Right. But then often in conversations, if I was talking to another person of color who was very much from India and they asked me, where are you from? I'd say, oh, I'm from India. And then they'd say, oh, but like, where from India? And I was like, oh, you're right. I am from like Mumbai. Like I am Marathi. Like, so that there's that identity difference then because for so long I grew up in a Marathi and Gujarati household, but suddenly that identity takes the backseat and it's clubbed like everyone else clubs it as, oh, I'm just Indian. As opposed to in India, when people would ask me, oh, like, where are you from? What are you? I'd be like, oh, I'm Marathi. And so not to say that that, like, obviously there's that different difference because that's a majority culture. People recognize those differences. I'm just saying that the impact on that, of that on your own identity is so important to recognize because you often just like go through life thinking that you're fine. And then you wake up and you're like, wait, where did this part of my culture go? Like now this is like a missing right. within my identity. Right. Um, but to answer your question, correct me if I'm wrong, you asked how can younger generations start Sure. Just anybody within the South Asian diaspora, like how do they take up that space, especially and maybe not even younger folks, Mm -hmm. but maybe people who are like 40, 50 coming into their own now, especially within the last three years and realizing, oh, I can tell my story, but I don't know Mm -hmm. where to start. How do they how do they go about doing that? This is a very interesting question, because I think I'm in the phase of my life where I'm starting to do that myself. Sure. Um, But I think the first piece of the puzzle is owning your identity, which goes back to what I mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, And I say own that identity because then you know exactly what pillars make you up. And I say pillars because for me, and I've noticed for most of my peers as well, it might be possible that when you recognize those pillars, that one of those pillars for you is culture. 
if culture isn't one of those pillars for you, then you need to have that internal dialogue and say, if I am comfortable, is this something that I even need to do? Or do I feel like I'm pressurized to do it because others in my community are talking about it? Mm. That is also a distinction to make, right? Like yes. just because everything, everyone is talking about it and feeling, it doesn't mean you have to. And if you do realize, okay, this is a pillar that's important to me. And now I want to talk about my culture. I would say my first con- my first question I always ask myself with anything I do is what is your why? Like, why do you want to have this conversation? Why do you feel like um, you need to take up this space? Not because you don't need to take up, take up that space because you rightfully deserve it. It's just that what is driving you? I think that's the, that's the goal of why, right? And so then the moment you answer why, then you say, okay, well, what's my what? And then when you figure out your what, you're like, okay, why am I like this? Or why am I feeling this way? What do I want to do about it? And then your next question should be how. And so I always in my life like to function in threes. I think there is something to say about the power of threes, whether it adds credibility or adds trust to what you say. And also that transfers to how you build foundational skill sets for yourself, right? So once you ask yourself those three questions, why, what, and how, it seems easy, but I think a lot of those answers will come from within you when you know exactly what gap you're trying to bridge. So for instance, in my capacity, and and I think this serves as a great example, I graduated college last year and I realized, okay, well, I developed this sense of internalized racism. And I know we spoke about this offline as well, but that internalized racism, the second I realized, oh, this exists, I was like, okay, but why is this bothering me after four years? Like, why now? And then I answered my question. I was like, oh, because now I know I have the autonomy to actually do something about it because I'm not in school anymore and I'm not in that system that feels limiting, right? I'm moving to a more diverse city. So then my next question was, okay, what do I want to do about it? And whether that was... Um, like everyone's answer is going to be, I want to create change and impact, right? But what exactly do you want to do? So for me, it was, okay, I want to create content. I want to mentor people that are like me and I want to start hosting workshops. And then the how of it was the logistical part of it, right? So I think the long answer to your question of how can someone start finally taking up that space is answer the why, what, how, because that's how you develop trust and knowing within yourself that you deserve to take up that space. And once you're good on that part that you know internally that 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 self-esteem is solid, that self-doubt is gone, then you're golden. And then mm. you know that the second you're in charge of your own identity, that you can then rightfully take up that space that you need, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I love hearing you talk about it because, and talking about your specific process, because I can feel the confidence and like the self security or assuredness in your own identity. And I feel like it really comes out when I'm just listening to you speak. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more. You said like when you graduated from college, like that was what kind of sparked this conversation and for you to ask that why to, to start approaching that process. And when you talk about it too, this confidence makes it seem like it might be easy to move through that process. Can you talk a little bit more about, um, or elaborate on like maybe the struggle a little bit of answering those questions, building from why to what, and then thinking about how. Well, first, it's it's far from easy. And I'm so <laughs> sitting and I'm like, oh my god, guys, what am I doing? Because a lot of times it's also a priority thing, right? You you sure. can't we can't go through life compartmentalizing and say, okay, from five to nine. PM, I'm going to sit and think about my identity and my culture. And then nine to 10, I'm going to sit and like talk about how I'm a type A person. Like, it's it's so hard because it kind of goes into every single thing that you build for yourself. But one, one piece of 
advice that I was given in my professional life and I carried over into my personal one that's really helped me is building a brand. Mm. And I know this sounds like a really professional run of the mill. Like everyone says, build your brand, but I don't mean professional brand. And I'm not talking about your corporate brand at all. Right. Take that out of the picture. I want you to like completely forget about that. Think about brand in terms of how you view yourself. And this is a lot of what our conversation has been so far in terms of owning and honing in on your identity. But in terms of the why, the what, the how, right? Think about yourself as an individual with three, four pillars, like I mentioned. And then there's these things that are key to your value systems, right? And when you have that identity and you're going through building that brand for yourself of how you view yourself, um, you're really practicing how to become a better person for you and how to take away the noise, because a lot of what you realize, if we were bo- if we were in a vacuum, right, without all this socialization and constant news and colorism and racism, like we would be perfectly satisfied with ourselves. Like we wouldn't, or if we lived in a society without racism or colorism, sure. we realize that we wouldn't be conscious of the fact that we have like our skin looks different or that our accent is different. So those are key nuances you need to recognize. Because how would you really look at yourself in the mirror? away from all the noise. So that's what I mean by you need to build an inward, like a brand in words. Um, so that was the first thing I started doing. I, I started like kind of penning down, okay, what are key values or pillars um, that I really resonate with? And that's when I realized, okay, culture is really important to me. And it was almost interesting because in India, I didn't really blink twice at being Indian or having that identity because I was part of the majority. But after coming here, I enjoy it so much more. Um, So for me, that first step was that I almost had to dissociate from something that I thought I was cringing at because I was told to cringe at, right? Um, To then owning that identity. So that was the first part of of me recognizing it in terms of building my brand inwards is recognizing, okay, this is like an important part of what, what matters to me. And I say that because the first step to asking yourself the why, the what, the how is setting those values for yourself and saying, okay, like I'm this far in life now. This is what I know brings for for me personal value or validation to the table. I know this is something that makes up my personality and my internal brand. So once I had that in mind, I said, okay, well, like I mentioned, like, why do I want to ask those questions? Right. What do I want to do and how I want to do it? Um, And a lot of that for me Okay, let me backtrack a little bit. And I think this is this is going to click. But it's almost like you recognize once you figure out that brand, what do you offer or what is your value and where can you impact? And I say this from a perspective of not only stepping into yourself, but also creating a larger level of systemic change because... I promise you, I don't, I, I don't like whatever your career is, no matter where you are from, whatever it is, you will always have someone who's going to come up to you and ask you how you made that journey because they'll probably look up to you as a role model, especially as a person of color. So in that capacity, right? Ask yourself, um, what are my skill sets that I can use to fill that why and what and how? And this doesn't have to be in that public eye. But for me, that was, okay, I feel this way. I've answered my why. And that why takes a lot of journaling, a lot of prompts, a lot of just like reflection conversations. That's the why. But then the what and the how is really kind of goes hand in hand. And you really have to ask yourself, what do I bring to the table in terms of skill sets 
And how can I act on that? So this is where the logic comes in. And I call it logic because the way you action on any emotional feeling or an intangible feeling is through actual steps. Um, So I think that that is kind of what I started doing. Okay, what am I good at? I know I'm good at creating content. I know I'm good at art. I know I'm good at public speaking. Um, And then I'm a consultant full-time. So, okay, I know I'm a consultant full-time. So even at work then in my professional life, I will ask those questions. I will go out of the way. Your what and how doesn't have to be this big thing where you create something all the time, right? It can be creating meaningful conversations and relationships too, which is exactly what I'm doing in my place of work. Um, And I seek out mentors that look like me. So I think the long story short with that is you figure out your personal brand. You really reflect, ask yourself the questions. That's the why leg of the journey. And then the what and how leg of the journey is how do you action these by really figuring out what you're good at, what skill sets you bring to the table, and how you want to create that impact in your space. I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like I'm getting a masterclass right now <laughs> just listening to you talk about that because, again, a lot of it goes to identity, knowing who you are, building that brand, and how you view yourself. And then I really like what you said about the what and the how being what skills are you good at? Because I think especially in Asian diaspora communities, we who, who operate here in America, we are taught to not think about those things. We are told that we are already good at math and at whatever else, you know, like just random stupid stereotypes. (laughs) And like, that's what you do. And then when we get to the point of like, Oh, this is who I am. And we start to think about, well, what am I good at? It can be really difficult. So um, I like that. I I like that you're laying this foundation of like, you have to, you, you need to find ways to be able to ask yourself that question. How did you, like, you obviously knew you had these different things. How did you start to identify those things for yourself in that journey? That's such a powerful question because I'll tell you this, and this I know doesn't limit to like the South Asian culture. Sure. In general, huge Asian stereotype is putting us in that box of you're good at math and you're good at engineering and every Indian is a doctor and like every Asian kid in your class is like an engineer. Like it is not and it is the most frustrating box to be put in because sure, there's people in those communities who enjoy those spaces, just like everyone else in the world. (laughs) And so you get put in this box by your own society where and you almost buy that more, right? Because if right. you grow up in a household where your parents tell you, you have to be a doctor, engineer, or like society where you're a majority tells you have to be a, you have to fall in one of those careers. You're like, okay, well, this isn't even like a minority thing. It's just my culture is telling me to do this. So it's almost like a stronger voice in your head. Um, And then there's that um burden of almost fitting yourself in the box that you don't want to be fit in. But I've realized over the years that, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is really navigate those passions. And I'll get to how in a second, but one of the conversations that I want to reference in, in this specific segment is a conversation I had on my podcast with one of a close friend. Her name is Joy Batra, and she's a freelancer now and she's a power woman, but she has pivoted her life now and her career to be a freelancer full time. And she's super successful, but we talked about this exact thing. Nobody in the Indian community really understands what freelancing is. And like the fact that she had to take that step and take that leap and make that jump was really scary. Just like for me, even though I have a full-time job as a consultant and I absolutely love my job, I'm learning so much. My, I, I can see how people almost don't validate the side that of me that is a content creator and a workshop host and a podcaster and all these things, right? 
But what I've learned is that no matter when it comes to the things you love and the things you want to explore, there's two things you have to keep in mind. One, you need to do it scared, no matter how scared you are. The second thing is that when you know that that fear is there, you have to let your love for that thing be greater than your fear. Always. Because if you don't, then you're never, you're going to close yourself off to things that may benefit you in ways that you don't expect, right? And here's how I went about exploring those parts of myself. I will preface this by saying that I'm very lucky and privileged to have really great supportive parents who I grew up in a house of, um, I'm an only child, but both my parents worked full time. My dad worked full time. And then my mom quit her job to take care of me at home, but they're both creative. So my mom is an author now. And my dad is also very artistically inclined. He plays instruments. He sings very creative house. So I was very lucky to have a space early on in my life where that exposure was, um, celebrated and encouraged, but I recognize that that isn't the case for everyone. So the first piece of that step, I would say, is before having conversations with other people, again, get in touch with yourself. And a lot of my advice is going inwards because I do believe that that's where all change starts. Um, But get in touch, as cringy as it sounds, with your inner child. Understand exactly what you like exactly what makes you happy what makes you like sparks joy and i'm not saying because you liked coloring when you were younger that you need to use like <laughs> color pencils now like that is not what i am saying but i think in a child in a sense that i use that phrase because that is the most like we mentioned in a vacuum untouched untampered by society part part of that exists within us right what does that version of you really want what do they want to do and a good place to start that is I say, just start creating. And it doesn't mean create content. I think there's this taboo now because content creation has boomed up to say, oh, all creating is creating content. No, like use color pencils, um, create community, um, create art if you want, create like, but even if you're reading a book and you don't want to write a book, like create little projects for yourself to like follow along the books that you're reading. Anything that get your mind working or hands working in a way that you know is bringing you happiness. And the second you do that, I promise you, you're going to start finding them. The way to get more creative isn't to shut the creativity away. It's to do more creative things because then you get ideas that have been like shoved away in the back of your brain. Um, So really figure out what those things are, figure out what makes you excited and then meet people that are like-minded, whether that's in cities, whether that's in communities online. Um, That's how we met as well. And I honestly have been reaching out to people to understand what other podcasters in the space enjoy the things I enjoy. And it doesn't always change into a collaboration um, and it doesn't always have to, but my intent with reaching out and now like the dms that i'm getting is more like hey i just want to also know about your story like why did you start podcasting what excites you why do you do it and so those kinds of conversations right need to come to the forefront of community drives everything um and everyone is scared so you'd rather be scared together than be scared in a silo alone by yourself in your room so that is a key thing to figure out what you really want to do and then the second piece of it is now that you have that confidence in, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where my identity is. Um, Have those conversations with your parents, your community, um, and realize that this is a very tough thing to say, especially in an Asian space, because I I know it's hard because guys, I I get it. But (laughs) you can let them be mad. Like you can let them be, it's fine. What other people think of you is not your problem. And yes, they can be family. And yes, they can be close to you. But at the end of the day, you're going to sleep 
to bed with yourself. Right. So you need to be comfortable having those conversations. And if you feel like that's something that you want to explore on your own without having those conversations, then that's fine too. But yeah. I absolutely love that. Again, the thing that's really stuck out to me is like, find what you're, even if you're scared, do it. And Mm. then find out what you love about that and allow that love to overcome the fear. Know that the love you have to invest in love and the thing that you love in order to overcome that fear anyways. And when you find like-minded people and when you're able to feel or confront the fear of like having that conversation with your family, which I know a lot of uh, Asian folks can struggle with or feel like is a difficult task to undertake, you know, know that even if they are angry and which is totally valid for however they want to feel it, like that's probably an expression of love and not Mm. necessarily an expression of like, I disapprove of this because again, we're talking about systemic societal things that influence our parents our our communities, our cultures. Once we come to America and without that context, it can be very like, Oh, this is very daunting. This is very emotional and upsetting. Like, and I don't understand why you don't get this, but with the added context of like, Oh, they are also, influenced by these same things that are influencing me it's like okay i can be a little bit more empathetic as to why you're feeling this i'm also not gonna shut down because of that because like you said this is my thing i go to sleep at night with these things in my head by myself like we're not sleeping like i'm not sleeping with my parents and like we're sharing having a shared dream or whatever it might be you know you you're doing these things on your own and i love that you like approach all of these things from this position of wanting to pass on education, pass on these tips, be able to like mentor other folks, particularly Gen Z folks. And a lot of that I think ripples outward. So not only are you, not only can you work with and mentor and and teach young folks of color how to do these things, but I think those things ripple outward to people outside of our communities who also need to have these conversations. So what would you say folks outside, specifically outside of the South Asian experience, need to be mindful and remember when approaching these conversations, when thinking about the South Asian diaspora, when wanting to be mindful and inclusive of that community or of the multiple communities that make up that diaspora? Yeah. um, Just a quick thing that came to mind when I was referenced, when you mentioned the thing you were saying before is it's not just enough to recognize generational trauma. You have to do something about it. So you can't just sit and be like, oh, this is generational trauma. I recognize that this exists. Like you have to start breaking those cycles, which exactly goes back to what you were saying and we were talking about before. But in terms of what other people can do, um, and this is something that, again, I, I am so lucky to have friends that have created those spaces for me and peers and mentors that have. But really just ask the question. Like if you're confused, whatever that question is, just ask it. Like again, like I mentioned, like respect, like specificity is respect. The more specific the question, the more, res- I mean, obviously like don't ask something offensive that you know is like, right. Clearly <laughs> offensive. But if you're a little confused, I think I, a lot of times have felt seen where, when my white friends have come to me and said, Oh no, I know you're Indian, but what kind of Indian are you? And I'm like, Oh, you know what that is? And they're like, yeah, like, we have other Indian friends. And I'm like, Oh, see, like when they spoke to that Indian friend, they probably didn't know it existed. But now there's that education and ripple effect of like, Oh, like there's that acknowledgement. Right. The second thing that I would say, really, this is a don't do rather than do do, um, is don't comment on people's like things that people associate with their culture. If it comes like one thing people say to me that always rubs me the wrong way is why do you speak such good English or why is your accent so good? 
And I'm like, maybe don't say that. Like I, I, I can see why you have those questions, but that's not a question you want to ask someone. Like, why do you speak good English? Like, this is not something you want to, you know? Yeah, that's bad. Um, that's <laughs> no, no. But other than asking specific questions, I, I think the last piece of it is just listen. And a lot of empowerment comes from a place of just listening. Because like I mentioned, a lot of times we feel scared to take up that space. And sure, that in part is internalized and we're not taking up that space. So like a hand needs two hands to clap, right? You need two hands to clap. That's one hand of it. The other hand of it is like, we need to get that space too. And a huge part of getting that space is having somewhere where people can just listen. So you don't always have to have, when you go into conversations with people of color, I want you to take out any stereotypes you have about them and then just be in that space with them because asking them, oh, wait, how are you going to marry your significant other? Doesn't your culture need arranged marriages mm. is not creating space for them. Right. It's not accounting for diversity of perspective and the fact that they may have grown up in a really liberal family, but instead it's putting them in the box that they're trying to escape. So a lot of oppression or discrimination, I think, is it's the hand pulling but the hand pulling needs like, so, no, sorry. It's someone trying to climb up that hill, but we need help going up that hill. So it's it's like the, we will talk, but please like create that space sort of conversation. So yeah, I'd say the two things is definitely ask the, like ask specific questions um, and really create a space to listen. I love that. I think specificity is probably going to be the title of this episode. Um, and in your questioning, I think it's great because it comes... It shows a desire of curiosity as opposed mm-hmm. to, like you said, coming just from a place of potentially know, not yeah. even appropriation, but just like just prejudice, I guess. Like you exactly. have these stereotypes in your head and like those are influencing the questions that you ask instead mm-hmm. of being specific about the things that you want to learn and know. And two, being able to come to a space and listen. Two episodes ago, we had a conversation about being able to listen to understand versus listening to respond. And I think a lot of us want to respond. Like we'll hear something being said and then we have an, a response in our heads and we don't hear anything else that's being shared. And so we don't learn. We don't, we don't learn. We don't develop and understand empathy in that way because we just want to be, we want to be heard and we mm-hmm. want to shout. But instead of being willing to listen and being able to listen, we go the opposite route. So I really appreciate you naming those things. I think it's super, super important. Again, teacher, mentor, love the way that you not only infuse all of these things that you're talking about with anecdotes specifically from your own life, but how we can go about being active and being engaged in this work that we need to do. Um, Who are you learning from right now? You do a lot of teaching. You do a lot. You do a lot of sharing of information. Who do you learn from or who who's giving you inspiration right now as you do your own work? I'll give you a um what's the word for like a like a famous answer that most people are learning from and then I'll give you a little like um an unconventional answer. I like it. I'll call it unconventional. <laughs> Maybe it's not unconventional. I don't know, guys. Um a conventional answer is Jay Shetty, definitely. I think I'm learning a lot from his content. And more than that, I think I'm learning a lot from the way in which he feels comfortable taking up space. Mm. Not to say I'm I'm sure he's uncomfortable with it, right? I'm sure everyone's going through their journey. I'm not making assumptions, but I think there's just something so powerful in the way he does it because you can really see his progression through life with like starting from Accenture, like being a monk, starting at Accenture, right. and then like going to this career that he has now. Um and I say learning from him because it isn't just his podcast that I'm listening to and learning about every day. It's 
the course of his life and everything that I, he, I've seen him share online since I was ha, like 18, 19, 20 years old. So it's like the thematic story of his life. I think I've always been learning from. So that's my un, like conventional answer. My unconventional answer is maybe people do know this person, but in my space, I haven't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people that know him. Um, Derek Severs. He was the CEO of CD Baby. Then he sold his company and now he's a thought leader and he has these, and I say his name because he has a lot of interviews that he does on like the Tim Ferriss show and like other podcasts. And he has his own website where he has like thought dumps and what he's thinking. And what I love about the modality of his approach is that everything he approaches, no matter how intangible the problem, in some way, he's going to make it tangible for you. And he's going to give you like, you need to do X, Y, Z. And I don't know if you noticed Throughout this conversation now, it happens so naturally, but everything I approach is very like, this is what I'm feeling, but how can I make it logical, right? Whether it's like the why, the hot, the what, the why, the what, the how, whether it's like the three pillars, the threes, it's always the threes. And that's something that I learned from him. And I have been learning from him just by listening to his content, reading his books. Um, so I think at some point, a good learning tip that I've realized is it's not always about the content you learn from others. Is It's what the, it's the content that, that you infer from their existence and a lot of my learning comes from how I see Derek Sivers and then Jay Shetty really live and emulate the lives that they've gotten into now but yeah I love that um I love what you talk about like what we infer from the people that we learn from because it's one thing to just regurgitate and the same things that are being said and not really internalize those lessons. And it's a whole nother thing to be able to internalize that and then take the concepts and apply them to your own life or whatever it is that you're teaching, which 100% in this entire conversation you've been doing. And yeah. I love that you're modeling that. I love that you named that, oh, I've been doing this the entire time. Know, Listener, if you've not been paying attention, <laughs> that this is what's been going on in this conversation. Yeah. And I think it's really important because I think for a lot of us, it is easy to regurgitate, especially in this climate of social justice where everybody wants to come out and be like, oh, I'm anti-racist or whatever. It's one thing to put anti-racist in your banner, in your headline. Yeah. It's a whole nother thing to actually be actively practicing those, those things. Exactly. So I really, really appreciate you naming that. We will have links to both Derek and Jay's work in the show notes. So make sure you check that out as well, listeners. Um, Isha, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, last question. How do we, how does our audience support you going forward? Of course. Um, well, what a great conversation too. And thank you for creating the space because never really talked about this in length just as much as I have here, but, um, I have my mentorship platform up now. It's called help me help you. I know you mentioned that in the introduction. Um, it's basically a platform where, um, I, I want to help underrepresented communities, whether that's women in STEM, people of color, communities of color, or not, whatever it may be, really progress and reach their professional and personal goals. Because I knew I always wanted a mentor who understood my path when I was growing up. Um, and I had that privilege. So one is help me help you. And then the second thing is um, my podcast will also be linked in the description, Turn Off the Razor. That is a space where I hope to make wisdom more accessible to our generation. I'm not saying that I'm talking about things that you haven't heard about, but I am promising that every single thing that I talk about, I'm talking about in a way that you haven't heard it. So we'll talk about Ooh. things like fear, right? And like insecurities. And sure, there's a lot of conversations about those things, but my approach with it is how can I have a different approach to it? Um, so those are the two main things. And I also host workshops in the city. If you guys ever want to come out in New York City, um, hopefully they'll be virtual soon, but that's that's about it. 
Absolutely amazing. Help me help you turn off the ringer. Both link down here in the show notes. And I think before I close it out, that is one of the alignments is like how it's not necessarily that we're having different conversations, but we are having a, we're having those same conversations in a different way. And I think that is what drew me to you and your work and turn off the ringer specifically. And then now following you on social media, seeing the work that you're doing is okay. Each is talking about this differently and I need to follow along and listen. Um, so that way I can learn and then take in that information and then apply it to my own life and talk about these conversations differently that I'm having. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge with (laughs) myself and with our audience. Um, this has been definitely one of my favorite episodes. I probably say that every time, but this has been an incredible conversation. Um, and I can't wait to continue having these with you. So thank you so much. Of course. And I know we have an episode coming up on my podcast as well with Patrick, where we talk about some very interesting things in terms of navigating and internalizing racism as well. So I'm very excited for that, too. Yes, very, very excited for that as well. Isha, thank you so much. Everybody out there, make sure you go into the show notes, check out everything that we talked about. You'll have all the links there. If you want to follow along with us, you can do so at Conversation Podpiece on Instagram. And if you feel inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player that you're listening to this on because you love this specific conversation, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Lastly, if you're interested in supporting the show in any way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit our brand new website, conversationpeacepod.com. So until next time, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Isha. Thanks, guys. Bye.